Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. I am super excited to announce that my first children's book, Love Magic, is now on Amazon for purchase. Love Magic is a heartfelt and magical story about the enduring power of love. It's about a little girl named Charlie who has a loved one who passes, and her journey addresses the universal question of how do we stay connected with our loved ones when they pass on. It gently touches upon the magical ways in which our loved ones can continue to guide us through nature, music, love, and everything in between. I hope you will check it out on Amazon and possibly purchase it. And if you do, please leave me a review. Without further ado, let's go to the next interview. Today, I am just thrilled to have Jacob Cooper on the show. Jacob is a clinical social worker, certified Reiki master, and certified hypnotherapist who specializes in past life regression therapy, works privately with clients through online services. Inspired by his childhood near-death experience and transformative experiences, he facilitates spiritual awareness and empowerment through life-changing seminars. He also works closely in providing insightful seminars assisting those dealing with issues in in areas of mental and physical health, grief, end-of-life issues, and marginalized populations. Currently, he lives and practices in Long Island, New York. He is the author of the recent released Life After Breath, How a Brush with Vitality Gave Me a Glimpse of Immortality. Welcome to the program, Jacob. Who is that guy that you're talking about? He sounds kind of interesting. I know, uh, right? He sounds I don't like know pretty, who that meant. Uh, he, sounds like a, he sounds like a pretty cool guy. <laughs> it's so exciting to have you here finally. I know we've gone back and forth a little bit. So tell us about your NDE when you were, when you were a young child. You know, I had my near-death experience at the age of three years old at the time. Uh, my parents and I didn't know, but I had something called pertussis, you know, otherwise known as whipping cough for infants or children left untreated, unvaccinated. You know, that could certainly be fatal or very detrimental, you know, to, to, to your status. And so I went to a park like any other day with family friends and went up onto a ladder on a slide and became, you know, suffocated as a result of whipping cough and the coughing, you know, that that happened. And at the top of the slide, after climbing the ladder, everything you know, shut down and I was suffocated for a period of time, which was, you know, the most torturous, isolating, difficult period that one could endure, which felt like an eternity. And, you know, after that, you know, my body was irresponsive. It wasn't working properly due to the deprivation of oxygen. And literally my brain 
you know, just kind of snapped in half due to the deprivation of oxygen where I felt a large crack within my brain. And then once my brain cracked in half, that's when God and spirit came in, as the euphemism says, which literally happened to me, you know, in a playground, you know, climbing up a ladder on the side. So there's so many different allegorical symbology to it, which we'll hopefully get into. But after suffocating, I was able to find um, a breath of eternity. You know, we have the breath of the body, then there's the breath of eternity, the breath that we're created from, or, or in the Judaism, in our language, we call it the Ruach or the wind of God. And so when the breath of the body was taken from me, there was an undeniable breath of eternity that I knew that I was forever connected to. And once connecting to that breath of eternity, you know, having, you know, similar steps to the common classical near-death experiences, you know, such as the tunnel sensation, the vibrational frequencies, you know, ascending out of my body, you know, being in the disembodied state, I was able to really have a profound awareness of my own spiritual guides. I had an awareness of what I could best describe as, you know, God, you know, in my language, you know, there was a Christ consciousness, as well as I was able to really encounter a countless sea of angels um, around me. You know, I was privy to previous awareness of previous carnations and karmic ties with this lifetime and other times. I had a life review, and I was also aware of what this life's purpose was about from having, you know, premonitional information of the work that I would be doing, you know, as a healer and teacher. And, you know, classical near-death experiences, it's either one of two ways. Either you're told that, you know, you have to stay or you're asked to pose a question, what are you going to do? And so um, given the abridged version, I know we could get into some of the finer details, but some, you know, for those interested, the, the, elaborated, the elaboration is within my book. Uh, but I chose to stay in a sense that, I was able to hold on to an image of myself speaking in front of people and giving this information. And it wasn't like I was some pompous guru better than the people, but rather I was just simply the messenger of this message that needed to be heard. And so as beautiful and opulent as the other side was, I saw nothing more beautiful or otherworldly than giving the hereafter into this here and now. And so I decided to get, dedicate myself to people ready to hear this information that indeed we don't die to, re to be just a gentle reminder that the love around us and love inside of us is our greatest superpower that at times we forget by, you know, thinking that we're a body. We're not a body. We have a body. We are a soul. And I wanted for people to remember who they truly are and the infinite bonds of love that they're forever connected to. You know, bear in mind, I also had connections with soul family members, you know, who were around me and it was just you know, full-blown, you know, checklist of a lot of the classical references of, of NDEs, you know, really elaborated within, you know, Dr. Raymond Moody's work and some of the other researchers, Bruce Grayson, you know, Kenneth Ring, stuff like that. So, yeah. But Jacob, you were three years old. <laughs> when did you, I mean, how, how do you think you remember, yeah. <laughs> remember this? And did it take a long time to integrate it. I know PMH yeah. Adwater's works. So, yeah. What years? Twenty or to thirty years, or? and you know PMH really. Yeah. Um, she she really specializes in children and infant, you know, NDEs. Mm -hmm. I've actually met, you know, the legendary PMH who I know is on the Mount Rush, Mount Rushmore of uh, NDE researchers, and having one herself too. <laughs> uh, but what I will say is, um, my my near death experience is controversial. And I'm glad for that because controversy allows people to think differently. And like we said before, my job is to be this groundbreaking kind of guy. I always say, if, if you're a leaf in water, rather than creating your own current, you're not really living. 
And so I think this experience wasn't necessarily for me, but for people to look at not only consciousness not produced by the body, which people will get, but also consciousness not pr produced by a linear number or age, in a sense that, that our identity is not synonymous with the, with the physical body and its chronological age developmental stages, that we are beyond this right. body, we are beyond a number. And so, yes, we, it's, it's something the left brain struggles with. Yes, there is a part of us that is developmentally that old, but beyond, beyond that, there's a greater light of our personality. I think within lifetimes, we just kind of take on personalities. Beyond that is a greater part of ourself, the higher self, which is beyond personality, uh, which is interesting, you know, in terms of media mystic mm -hmm. readings. But I think it, I do agree with the Tibetan perspective that, you know, there's a greater awareness beyond just the separate individuated parts of us that come through different lifetimes and different roles and different viewpoints that other people have of us. There's many different haps, but beyond that is a uniform one expression of vibrational frequency that comes out and represents itself into different forms. And so for myself to answer your question, there was ties that I had to this body, you know, and there was an adjustment phase that I had, but I firmly never believed that no one is a chronicle age. We are a soul's age. And so for myself, I was having this experience through the eternal sacred observer of the soul, not through the lens of a limited three-year-old. And so that's the best way I could describe this, that this was a pure connection with the core of my inner being and not, you know, my emotional, psychological, you know, developmental standpoint as a three-year-old. Right. That's, I know you explained that your soul was an infinite age in the experience and that's mm. how you feel the memory is still so vivid mm. and, and it does, it does make, make sense. Um, did did it cause a lot of turmoil for you as a young, as a young child? You, you, wow. I, I got to give you a psychic reading after this. You're, you're asking all the spot on questions, you know? Uh, wow. 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 You're like, you're like a modern day Barbara Walters. Um, anyway, <laughs> my, 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 minus the accent. Uh, anyway, you know, what, what I would say is, is yes. Shortly after my NDE, when I woke up in the hospital bed, I remember this and my mother remembers this. I had such a rage to me a couple of days later that I literally kicked the doctor who was trying to help me because I was so enraged. And that is really unresolved, suppressed trauma that I was experiencing that I wasn't able to really properly verbalize, as well as the experience that I had and how frustrating it was for me that I wasn't able to articulate it or to have the vernacular to properly describe Adults who have this experience even struggle with their words and bear in mind a three-year-old with a compromised vocabulary, there was a very limited lexicon that I had. And so a lot of what I experienced was a lot of inner rage, you know, in turmoil, that's just is what it is. But if I look at my family, I'm one of four kids, you know, we grew up, you know, educated, college degrees, master's degrees, and we valued, you know, intellectual pursuits and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, so my family there, I'm, I'm definitely the, the oddest one out of all of them. And I was also the biggest pain in the behind out of anyone. You know, I was very rebellious. And I think part of this was, you know, I wasn't able to directly put two and two together at the time, but I think having this near death experience was taking me out of the soul amnesia. We're feeling that as if I was this body and going on the conveyor, conveyor belt developmental stages of the human, you know, condition. And so there's part of me that was 
able to kind of take off the developmental stages and just having a bit of the pedestal taken away from my parents and caregivers. Cause I think there's a physical dependency for adult, you know, figures that happens and that leads itself onto an emotional, spiritual, psychological uh, uh, dependency on those beings as, as being better than us or more knowing when in theory and principle, it's the children that have the most clarity and the most wisdom than arguably anyone on the planet, because they're just coming from a place of clarity their light doesn't have as many shadows of reference to interfere with the pure, you know, truth within. So. Right. Oh, very well said. So when you were young, um, did you feel more connected to the other world as you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was a lot more comfortable in that world than this world. And I do think a lot of it had to do with my brain, which, you know, I mentioned was suffocated and literally like a plug in a wall was snapped in half and just felt this, this incredible crack within my brain. And so after that return to preschool, I was on nebulizers and inhalers for some time to just get myself up to speed. And I also had a lot of scarring that's still there that impacted my voice, you know, from it, from what my mother at least told me, you know, from the whooping cough. But I, I noticed that there was a part of my brain that was forever changed from this in a sense that we know that brain is a filter of consciousness. So once my brain stopped working, that's when I was able to uh, have, a, have a different awareness. And I know Bruce Grayson speaks about this with the mind-brain differentiation, where in our paradigm, we think that the brain produces the mind and that they're synonymous. But really, I experienced, and I agree with Bruce, uh, that the brain and mind are separate, where you could have a brain that's not working and still have a mind that's, that's a lot more active than it could possibly be even in the highest, you know, states of brain capacity. Uh, but there was a sliver of light within my brain that I was able to connect to on a regular basis. And from this, I was able to really access the other side at will. I had kind of like a way zap for myself that just knew how to go you know, into the tunnel, go to the other side. It wasn't until one day where literally I was blocked and my soul was not allowed to do that. And it really taught me that I was here to be a spiritual being having this human experience, you know, because ultimately if we're there all the time, then what's the point of being in this body? You know, that's mm-hmm. always there. Otherwise we have this empty body without a soul being in it. And we're not really living out the human experience. You know, what's the point of, of that if we're all there and not here. So we're meant to bring that into this, but I had a lot of interdimensional communication as a kid, you know, and a lot of ability to really access spirit and, premonitional capabilities. And, you know, I, I know Neil Donna Walsh speaks about his work in conversations with God. And I firmly believe as a young infant, I was having that within regularity, where within the moments of quiet, where I would go to the bathroom or stuff like that, I would just have a, a dialogue with God, you call it higher consciousness, higher awareness, on a lot of deep principles that I later learned in life, you know, to kind of be severe validated and supported with energetic principles. You know, one of the conversations that's written in my book was a discussion on energetic management, where how in our society, we really operate from the head up and we're not really grounded and anchored within their core, you know, the heart space or, or, or the gut. And when I noticed that myself kind of slipping from my true anchor of my connectivity between the two worlds, I was able to have an understanding of the value of sticking in my gut, sticking into you know, my connectivity to my, to my own energy. And later in life through taking different principles of yoga practices and meditation, they really do 
uh, emphasize the value of water up, fire down, where you want the fire to be in the belly and to have a cool head. Most of us have a hot head and we have a cool belly, cool feet, and we're not properly balanced or channeled within our own energy. And so from a young boy, I was having a lot of this conversations and energetic principles and management of energy. So I've heard you to go in a little bit of a different direction, talk a little bit about what you learned about soul Mm. groups during your near death experience and what are they and what, what purpose do you feel like that they serve? I mean, I think, you know, on a bigger perspective, we all are part of a soul group, which is our, you know, eternal connectivity to other. But I think there's also the specified soul groups within our own backyard that really, to me at least, is just kind of like a ray of God in a way, just like a familiar expression of the divine. Mm -hmm. I think all of us, much I experienced with Christ consciousness, was we take on these personalities, but beyond that, we're expressive of divinity. And so I think there's a similar style of expression of divinity that we're a part of. And I think of soul groups kind of like colors on the rainbow. Behind the rainbow is is one infinite connection, but behind that prism rather, but within that, there's different individuated colors, but those colors are the collective and this individual are never separate. They're all a part of this great light, but there's individuated expressions. Much like I was hearing Anita Morjani talk about in the Dr. Oz show and how to describe God or anything that we have, where she was speaking about the hand. And she said, we go through life thinking that we're fingers, but in reality, we're part of the greater collective hand of God. And I think that's the same thing. We have these individual identities. It doesn't change that. But behind that in a greater scope is, is a greater, profound, more profound, unifying part of ourselves at the individual and collective. And I think soul family members, soul family is a group of beings that incarnate, reincarnate throughout periods. And, you know, some stay over on the other side, some are here, but really I look at life as very much of a team effort. It's not as individual or as isolating as we think. It's very much of, of a team guided support system effort. You know, so life is a team sport. It's not a solo endeavor. Right, right. Did you did you find that, just going back a moment to your family, I wanted to ask you about this and not to compare to siblings, but how about your relationships with other children, your your own age? Did, um, was that, was that difficult for you? Because I've heard that in other children's near-death experiences that, that it is. Yes, it was. Um, I would say that to survive, I had to you know, block this out in a way because the world in front of me was so diametrically different. I grew up mm-hmm. certainly in the Western civilization where we valued regurgitation over imagination. You know, regurgitation of information, of facts versus... Mm-hmm you know, the embodiment of wisdom, the embodiment of awareness. It was something that we taught that in order to learn something or to be something, you had to reach outside of yourself. And so it was very much on fleeting facts that, you know, the education system was was principled on early on. But from children, I was very much of a, of a dreamer type. I was very much beating to my own drum. I was very much different, but I suppressed a lot of that in order to fit in. But to really thrive later in life, I had to I had to own it. I had to become it. I had to take wow. ownership. And that's when later in my later teens and my early twenties, where, you know, kind of like you take take the beach ball, you put it under the water, and it's only a certain amount of time before it comes up to the surface. And I think so much of us do that where 
we bog ourselves down into this limited body and we bog ourselves onto this limited consciousness around ourselves. But eventually, you know, once the part of ourselves is ready, we, you know, really expand to become who we are, always have been, and, and always will be, which is our own embodiment of ourself, you know. Right. And so that brings us to the work that, that you're doing today. And can you tell us, you know, you talk about feeding the soul and as beloved, so below. And tell us a little bit about your work today. And along with that, the importance of creating an environment to help one stay spiritually connected. Sure. You know, I, I think every effort of my life's work is predicated and based off of the ultimate education that I had in my near-death experience. You know, I think from an allegorical reference or literal reference, Life After Breath, my book, my experience is all dedicated on the notion of giving back life to people who are feeling lifeless or giving a breath back to people who are feeling out of breath. And so for myself, when I looked at, you know, the lowest possible sensation of suffering, I was able to have an understanding that behind that is a clear eternal knowing this, that we cannot die, you know, that suffering does not define us. You might be feeling this, that, or that, but beyond that, your infinite love forever connected to that in your own backyard, and that could never be taken to you. As love truly does no 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 death, as my retreat said, you know, love truly never ends. Uh, it cannot ever be destroyed or, you know, it's always there. You know, all these things are just temporary forms of identity that we take, but in reality, you know, within the bodies of war, of love, there is no suffering, pain, any of that. And once we're connected to that, we know that. And so for myself, I really wanted to give back life and love and awareness to those who are feeling very apathetic, deflated, or just disanchored from that truth within. And so I, that's my life's duty to spread that message, to be a gentle you know, harbinger of information that we are so much more inside of us. We are so much more connected around us. And I think part of this is a process of remembering all that we are always have been and remembering who we truly are and never forgetting you know, that indeed that there is a greater higher order beyond suffering. We're not here as a masochistic you know, path. There is a greater path you know, and, and we're here to love, serve, remember who we truly are. But beyond that, I was think it was giving back to the notion that we're all here to look up at each other, not down at each other. You know, the angels looked up at me, you know, and, and they they saw the divinity within. And I think we have to start to find a way to learn how to make a life that works with our brothers and sisters and not against our brothers and sisters, to remind ourselves that we're all part of this same team here to support each and every individual's capacity to evolve and grow and, and to flourish past their challenges. But what's inside of us is infinitely greater than any challenge in front of us. And I'm a direct living proof of that through my NDE. Well, Jacob, this has been wonderful, a wonderful conversation. We need to wrap it up, but what would you like to shout to the world? Hmm. I, I would say the value of having a beginner's mind, a value of a vulnerability. I think plenty of people resist because when you want to develop yourself and have a greater extent of awareness, you have to be willing to let go of your own awareness. And I view that life happens in crises and storms, not to break us, but rather to make us have a whole new form of awareness. In the moment, that's not what you want to hear because it, 
in the moment, it's just pure suffering in front mm-hmm. of you. But I think everything happens for a reason. I think when the foundation, you know, that you're standing on is being pulled, like this global near-death experience that we're having, that same playbook for what I have, it's being able to turn inward when the outer world is suffocating you, tuning in to the inner eternal oxygen of the soul and having a life that's able to tune into different uh, gears when the terrain in front of you is no longer servable. And so I think it's really allowing your experiences to have a deepened sense of awareness in these shakeup periods to tune into a part of you far greater than just a temporary turbulence or experience. And I think that's something that hopefully people could take where they're able to have transformative experience that lose a part of themselves to refine a new form of self and awareness. And so sometimes in order for that to happen, you know, that which what we're standing on has to be lost in order to understand that that was temporarily and there's an eternal platform that we're standing on, which is our forever eternal, you know, connectivity to awareness and consciousness that can never be taken from. Right. Very well said. Well, thank you so much. And if people want to find you and your book and um, how would they go about doing that? Yes. So um, you can contact me through jacobelcooper.com. It's my website. There's a whole other specialized, you know, um, page that says life after breath. You could click that. It takes you to the link on Amazon. So for those of you interested, this is my book, Life After Breath. Well, thank you so, so much and have a a great rest of the day. You too. An honor for being your guest. Truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at Interviews with Innocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.